3: After a terrific day where the Dow surged 182 points, S&P gained 0.27%. NASDAQ advanced 0.28%. You need to know that this rally is not phony. It is real. It's definite. But, and this is a big but, you know what? I think it's time that we just shade things. I think we should take a little off the table. Why do I say that? It's not just because when I walk around downtown Manhattan, I'm hearing more, hey, make me some money, Kramer cat calls than I am hearing booyah, or I love the show, shout outs. It's not just the fact that even the losers are turning into winners, which typically means you're late to the party. No. It's because all the issues that have dogged the market suddenly seem to have gone away. So I'm feeling like we got a kind of pan-gloss moment here Yeah, pangloss. That means, uh, you know, frankly, it means that we're in a position. Let me just say the pangloss sellers. That's not what I'm talking about. That's that great vineyard in Sonoma. I like that. We're not talking about delicious Cabernet here. We're talking about Voltaire's pangloss. All is for the best is not the best of all possible worlds pangloss. Whenever we start getting that vibe, it makes me want to sell something. Because the best of all possible worlds never lasts First, though, let's talk about what's going on right now, right now, because there are some good reasons people are so optimistic. Exhibit A, the 10-year Treasury. For months, the bears told us that we were headed for a recession because bond yields were plummeting. They argued that if interest rates kept falling, we were going to start importing negative rates from Europe, which was supposed to be really bad. They claim that the inverted yield curve, where our long rates had fallen below our short rates, meant that a serious slowdown was inevitable, if not a recession, and you got to stop buying things and stop expanding, and you got to be more negative. Kind of a bit of a chicken and egg story. As our bond yields went down, thanks to Europe, Europe investors panicked because plummeting bond yields are a sign of economic weakness. <laughs> which just caused more bond buying and it's a flight to safety and that pushed yields even lower. But a funny thing happened on the way to the inverted yield curve. The inverted yield curve induced recession, I should say. Turns out the Fed chief, Jay Powell, follows the financial markets too. Who knew? He, heard, he saw that things were going awry. He knew that a yield curve that's inverted can only really be cured by two ways, okay? And that is, one, strong loan demand, uh, with, which would raise the longer rates or a rate cut. So he gave us a rate cut. By the way, that's why I never panicked about the yield curve, because I knew the Fed, after doing the wrong thing, was going to start doing things right. That's the way it works. It even worked that way a little too late there in the 2008 period. They know nothing! Now, why wasn't that self-evident to the pessimists? I've got some theories. First, a lot of these naysayers hate Trump to the point where it messes with their judgment. We saw the same thing from the other side of the ideological spectrum under Obama. They didn't want to say anything against the bearish narrative for fear it would be viewed as a tacit endorsement of the president. Think about that. Second. Many negative money managers needed the market to go down in order to be able to beat their benchmarks. They bet against the market or were underinvested. So they were eager to cheer for a thesis that predicted a recession. So their caution would go over better with their investors. Third, the, uh, the, the only legitimate reason in my eyes, Jay Powell used some silly words to talk about rate cuts, saying something about some sort of mid course adjustment, boy, everyone keyed on that, is meaningless. It's parsing. that's meaningless. Powell raised interest rates too far too fast last year. Now he has to undo the mistake, but he can't just come out and admit it. I mean, the guy would have to be a real masochist to speak candidly about this stuff. So he ended up throwing a lot of people off the set with that mid-course thing. His real plan was to ensure we don't end up like Germany with a stagnating economy and an inverted yield curve, not on his watch. Funny thing about Jack, he got us right where he wants us. He had all these people claiming that he was done cutting rates, but all along he was simply following the footsteps of his brilliant predecessor, Janet Yellen. He let the data and the homework tell the story. Don't pay attention to the over-analyzers. He's not done cutting until the data says he's done cutting. Now, we no longer have an inverted yield curve. Remember that? Oh, we were so worried. they hand hand and The recession fears have been taken off the table. Problem solved. In truth, it never would have been a problem in the first place if people hadn't panicked about it. That's one reason the averages have been so strong. Nobody worries about a recession anymore. And that's why you see all these big sickle stocks going up and the secular growers selling off. Second piece of the Panglossian worldview, the belief that the trade talks will go smoothly. Just the other day, we heard that they were going brief, they were going badly. Remember that? They couldn't find a location or it was like delayed. Of course, it's entirely possible that something positive is going on, that the tariffs could be rolled back. I say that because China has finally followed through on one of its promises. They're cracking down on illegal fentanyl exports that are killing so many people in our country. It's the first sign that maybe the Communist Party means business. Rolling back the tariffs, though, let's see what, what else they agree to do before we get too giddy. I'm not happy. Well, let's just say I find the stories quizzical. At the end of the day, I don't like how everything suddenly seems so rosy. Just 48 hours after everything seems so... Horrible. I think some ill-advised statements being made. Next bit of complacency, earnings! specifically earnings in retail and tech. This morning, Ralph Ford reported a fantastic number with excellent growth, sharply better than expected. It's been ages since we've heard that, that a supplier to retail, especially a mall retailer, is doing well. And, of course, they also own freestanding stores. Now, forget that much of the strength here came from pulling merchandise from poorly performing malls. When you see the end of the inverted yield curve, you want to buy stocks that do well in a healthy economy. And, and apparel fits the bill, well, RL even here does. You know what though, you know, what I really like Columbia Sportswear, COLM. It had the misfortune of reporting back when everyone was still worried about a recession. Uh, if it had reported today, the stock would have been flying too, and Mr. Boyle was on, you know, he told a great story. But let's be careful here. See, because the pin action from Ralph Lauren I've a major rally in retail. It was also helped last night by Costco doing a little bit better than expected number. And the problem is, it's very unlikely that all these retailers are doing well. Time to trim, as anyone who owns the faltering gap, which just reported a not-so-hot number and saw its CEO dispatched with, knows. I'm trying to keep you out of more gaps, not just the store. The fourth source of complacency the endless run in the stocks of the banks. Uh, You know I've been a huge champion of the group. I think the financials represent incredible value. And the rebound in long-term interest rates will let them make more money. But can we just admit that the people buying these banks, let's just say they aren't exactly early? Sure, some of the larger banks could get business from a move into China if that Chinese Chinese let it happen. However, I doubt business has gotten that much better that fast. I think it's too tenuous given that we're still in the midst of a slowing economy. (laughs) Final piece of the pain puzzle, the possibility that the rollout of 5G wireless networks will drive all semiconductor cohort higher, not just the companies that benefit from 5G, which I will outline later in the show. No, all of them are going higher. And that's how we got Wall Street's reaction to the huge number Qualcomm reported moving everything up that has anything to do with anything inside a cell phone, but also, most importantly, inside cars, inside buildings, inside data centers. Hey, come on. Not all that's working. I mean, Corvo was great, but people have extrapolated that to pretty much everything. They did it again with Qualcomm. I say dream on. There are plenty of great 5G plays. I have them, but don't go beyond them. Look, I'm not saying you should expect a big sell-off. I don't. In fact, many stocks like that of Disney act like champs. But the bottom line is that when you have a jailbreak of immense stock proportions like we're having right now, you need to remember that not everything will work out perfectly. So when the market starts behaving like we're in the best of all possible Panglossian worlds, it is time to ring the register, go out, maybe go buy a cashmere sweater. And that way you'll have more cash to work with the next time things go south. Because we know, sadly, they always do. It's got a rose in New Jersey. Rose! Hi, Jim. What's up, Rose? Well, I'd like to know what you think about Groupon's subscription program. Uh, you, know, you know, I was depressed by that Groupon number. I was depressed by it. Uh, I expected better. It was disappointing. And it's time to cut your losses. Sorry to be so bold, but that's what it is. I need Steven in Pennsylvania. Please, Steven. Yeah. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? I'm good. Um, question is Rocco. Um, a couple of weeks ago, it was at 99 right. and it shot to 150 And last night, um, after the, the earnings was reported, it, it lost 20 bucks. Well, I mean, um, the quarter, I mean, if you listen to the conference call, you know. I mean, they basically threw cold water on the kind of rapid-fire growth that they have. When management throws cold water on it, I'm not going to stand up and say that they're wrong. And that's what happened there. How about we go to Matt in New Jersey? Matt. A great big stock market guru boo you to you, Jim. Nice, nice. Kind of a poet poetic thing going there. What's going on? Always great speaking with you. I'm a second time caller. And I'm here with my son, Luca. Luca.
2: Booyah, Jim.
3: Yo, booyah, Luca. Okay, so sitting at the dinner table the other day, my son was talking about a stock that he was thinking of buying. Okay. So I'm going
1: to let him tell you about the stock.
2: I am 10 years old. I have some money in savings and wanted to buy a stock. In June, this stock fell twenty-one percent due to declining same-store sales and flat earnings report. It has been in the house of pain since ever ever since. Jim, I like the place, but do you like the stock, Dave and Buster's?
3: This kid's got horse sense. What can I say? I mean, that's just good. And you nail everything, including the fact of the same store sales not being good. So I got to tell you, uh, Maddie in New Jersey, here's what you're going to do. You're going to stay away from that one because even though long term it might be okay, there's going to be a better time. And that time is going to occur after we see the next quarter because that last quarter was all I can say disappointing. And you know what? It's always hard for me to believe it could disappoint. because they I mean, got this thing. It goes down like this, and then you pick up stuff, and I once lost $28 in that, and I finally won. It was like I got something that was worth like 28 cents. That's a good business. What's the deal? All right, it's time to take something off the table, maybe a little. I mean, I don't expect to sell-off, nothing big, right? But not everything works out as perfectly as it looked like today or, oh, man, tonight. I've got something to say to the doubters of progress in the Chinese trade talks because there's an interesting twist that you're not talking about. You're not going to want to miss it. Then I spent plenty of time focusing on stocks that could benefit from a 5G build-out. Tonight, I'm eyeing one player that's already reaping the rewards that started the revolution itself. And can you cash in on your next run to the shopping center? i got a company that's got a 5% plus yield. Maybe it's the way to go. So stay
1: with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to
2: madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
3: We finally got something concrete out of China, and it's big. A death sentence for a fentanyl smuggler with life sentences for two of his colleagues. This crime and punishment story may actually have jump-started some of the more positive chatter about trade that you heard today. The chatter that propelled so many stocks higher I know a few fentanyl convictions may sound like a small potatoes thing for you, but this is precisely what Peter Navarro, the president's chief trade advisor, and really the man who's actually in charge of the negotiations, has been calling for as a sign of good faith, a virtual precondition to serious talks, because it was promised before by the Chinese, and it never happened. Now, some ill-advised critics in my Twitter feed this morning pointed out that President Trump may be giving away the store if he's rolling back the tariffs to make these meetings happen. But if giving away the store means gradually reducing these sky-high import duties, that sounds pretty darn good to me. Hey, let's give away the whole thing. If anything, I think it's China that's capitulating here. They did exactly what Peter Navarro demanded they do as a precondition. Navarro is one of the biggest hardliners on trade in the administration. China's also touting a bogus lifting of the poultry ban of ours, but they promised to do that before and never followed through with it. Thanks for nothing. Why do so many people doubt that we're actually making real progress in the trade talks? There are good reasons. Starting with this on again on-off-again nonsense about when and where the agreement would be signed. But many of these stories are based on anonymous leaks from the Chinese Communist Party, which is not exactly a reliable source. Or maybe anonymous leaks within the White House, which is deeply divided on the issue, so you really can't, uh, let's say you need the whole pastiche. I put more stock on on the record sources, sources like Yu Hai Bing. He's the deputy secretary general of the China National Narcotics Control Commission, who said they rounded up these fentanyl smugglers with only limited U.S. help. Listen to what he told Bloomberg. Quote, this further demonstrates the Chinese government's consistent attitude of zero tolerance toward drug crimes. This case has nothing to do with the trade war. End quote. (laughs) Sure, sure, buddy. All right, let's dissect dissect this. First of all, there's nothing the United States can do to crack down on fentanyl smugglers in China. We don't enforce Chinese law, for heaven's sake, and we certainly don't have any reciprocity. This isn't Mexico! Second, China's application of the law has been totally inconsistent when it comes to exporting fentanyl to America. It just hasn't been a priority for them to stop. Sometimes it actually feels like they view fentanyl as just another export. So these latest arrests, they are a very big deal. They are changing policy it goes without saying that this bus has everything to do with the trade, we're not nothing. It's no coincidence that the White House has been calling for a fentanyl crackdown as a sign of good faith. Get, uh, and now we're getting one. This is a sign. Not only of good faith, but that their Communist Party recognizes maybe they got to start being serious. The problem is that the disinformation, in the trade talks, disinformation coming from both sides, has played havoc with the stock market in your portfolio. I like to get it right. I like to know for sure that there's something concrete behind these positive stories. Now you know the positive story that's really generating things, and you, now you know what I do. Stay with me.
0: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
3: Then a company will report a quarter that's so incredible, so stupendous, that it totally transforms our understanding of an entire industry. And that's what happened with a company called Corvo last week when it blew through Wall Street's expectations with a truly stunning report card, one that I expected to get maybe a year from now, and I got it now! <laughs> For those of you who don't remember, Corvo is a radio frequency chip maker, RF, that supplies components for cell phones and communications infrastructure. They have massive exposure to both smartphones and the rollout of next-gen, next-generation 5G wireless networks that will be almost as fast as broadband and certainly the biggest evolution, I'm calling it revolution in tech, maybe even in our lifetimes. So when Corvo shot the lights out and this quarter was so good, it set the stock soaring 20% on Friday, it breathed new life into the entire 5G thesis. New life that was the tip-off to a whole bunch of big moves, including that of Qualcomm, which gave you a similarly positive number last night, when it too said 5G is here, finally here. And it's making everyone in the business a lot more money than they expected. This 5G stuff has been a game changer, which is fantastic because the game really needed to be changed. See, Corvo had a roller coaster of a year. After climbing to the mid-70s in May, the stock ran headfirst into a brick wall as the trade tensions, okay, trade tensions flared with China. When President Trump Blacklisted Huawei, the gigantic Chinese smartphone and telco equipment maker, well, he banned American companies from selling them technology. Companies like Corvo, which gets more than half of its sales from China. Huawei is one of their largest customers. It accounted for something like 22% of sales before the blacklist. So Corvo had to cut its full-year forecast. People hated that. Over the week after the ban, the stock plummeted from $73 to $60. Oh, boy, that's where it bottomed. This was the primary epicenter negative stock that got hit off the problems with Huawei. Now, in July, Huawei's ban was partially lifted. And with that out of the way, I told you the Corvo is worth buying as a play on the rapidly growing 5G build-out that I just mentioned. The company makes chips that allow phones to harness the power of faster 5G networks, and they're also used in the infrastructure that supports those networks. But because I was still worried about the trade war, I wanted to say, eh, a little bit cautious. So uh, while I recommended Corvo, I also said that Skyworks was my number one pick. That was the one I said would be top dog. Since then, both stocks have been terrific performers. But I can tell you, <coughs> in candor, I got the order backward. What I should have said was Corvo was better than SkyWorks, and Liam Griffin's doing a terrific job at SkyWorks. But Corvo's been really unbelievable. And, well, man, beating myself up, I should have said that Qualcomm was going to be amazing too. But I came on this one, and that's not so. This isn't shabby, right? Even before Corvo reported uh, last week, things were really picking up. Corvo gets around 30% of its sales from Apple. And out of nowhere, the new iPhone 11, this has turned out to be a gigantic winner. And that's been a huge surprise in itself, unless you watch our show, because I've been gushing about that. I like the three, you know, three things. This is really good. Um, I, ever since I laid eyes on it, when I got to be at the, uh, at the opening at the new New York store. But there's still some skepticism about the 5G rollout. Would the trade war with China slow it down? And of course, the trade war is on again, off again, even intra-hour. Well, when Corvo reported last week, they set the record straight. The company delivered a monster 22 cent earnings beat off of a dollar thirty basis with much higher than expected sales. Guys, this is like a takeover bid. That's like catching a takeover bid. What's driving the strength? Corvo's mobile products division, smartphones, was on fire with Apple, Huawei, and Samsung, the three largest makers, all buying components like crazy. On the infrastructure side, the business people were worried about things also are, are also looking very, very good. That was a primary concern of analysts. Well, that was wrong. Even better management's forecast for the next quarter was downright spectacular. Wall Street was only expecting... $761 million in sales. Corvo said it's more like 840, $860 million. They were giddy on the call. The analysts wanted $1.35 of earnings per share. Corvo's bringing $1.67. Those are ridiculously great numbers, people. And it didn't hurt that they announced a billion-dollar buyback, which is pretty huge when you consider that Corvo was really only a $9.5 billion company last week, although, of course, now it's $11.8 billion. Uh, and that means the buyback could still devour 8.5% of the share count. Now, Corvo's picking up smartphone business in Korea and China, along with wireless infrastructure design wins and some defense contracts from amplifiers for this thing called gallium nitride, which consumes much less power, lasts longer, and processes more data than other materials. They're the number one maker of these gallium nitride components. Really, though, the key driver here is 5G. Just listen to what CEO Bob Brugworth, and it doesn't look like Brugworth, it's B-R-U-G-G-E-W-O-R-T-H, but it goes by Brugworth. Here's what he told us. He said, quote, we are especially pleased with 5G design activity and the trends we see towards increasing RF integration, quote. Then CFO Mark Murphy Smartfell explained that, quote, our December guidance reflects continued robust mobile demand supported by an increase in 5G handset vibes, end quote. In other words, people are upgrading their phones to take advantage of the 5G rollout, even though it's still in its early stages. This is happening way faster than people realize, and it's not just components for smartphones. It's also wireless infrastructure. Brogworth pointed out, and I quote, in infrastructure, the ramp of 5G appears to be rolling out faster than the ramp of 4G, end quote. That's got huge implications for the whole 5G cohort. Plus, Corvo's gallium nitrate technology is, quote, is increasingly the technology of choice, end quote. They're securing massive design wins with this stuff. Things are going so well for this company. I'm glad. Good guys win. Brogworth's always been a nice man. He's a terrific guy. But it's been kind of, eh, until now. Going forward, imagine is predicting a continued increase in 5G handset volumes. Infrastructure business picking up substantially versus the quarter they just reported. Hey, both of, uh, of Corvo's defense budget and the 5G bill are doing well. As for the Chinese business, okay, now this is tougher. See, they called out China as a particular source of strength. As the Chinese roll out their own 5G network, and yes, they are ahead of us, they're packing new phones with not just 5G technology, but also fully integrated 4G technology. So they'll work on older networks, too. That means Corvo has more radio frequency chips in each phone. On top of that, Bruckworth believes that they're taking market share from the competition that's actually in China. Put it all together, it turns out the corporate really needed is 5G investments. They moved into making components that are finally in high demand, and that move is paying off big time. Best of all, we're still in the early stages. This is what's so okay. this is why I'm still focused on it. A lot of people say, "Jim, you're late. Uh-uh, I've liked it here, and I still like it. No wonder the stock jumped from 80 to 97 in the quarter and it's kept running now. It's 101 because we've just gotten more and more people converted to the bullish camp. If we get any kind of final resolution of the trade war, some analysts believe that this could be worth $500 million in sales the quarter of next year. That's a buck per share in earnings. Even up here, the stock sells for just 15.5 times next year's earnings estimates. And I think you could have a lot more upside. You can put on a small position here, though really, I mean, yeah, I wanted for a pullback, but I know you're probably itching after five weeks of up. Saying Kramer, where's that darn pullback? That's why I've said you can buy some. Who else benefits? As I mentioned, Qualcomm, the gigantic communications chipmaker, where the stock that is a key component of the 5G revolution does benefit, one of the fantastic earnings call last night, CEO Steve Mollenkoff described 5G as, a quote, the single biggest opportunity in Qualcomm's history. End quote. That is not hyperbole. And by the way, Molenkoff is a very understated fellow. Just like Corvo, Qualcomm is still far from expensive at more than 15 times earnings, uh, even though the stock was up 6% today. I, again, more room to run. Oh, and next Tuesday, we hear from Skyworks Solutions another radio frequency semiconductor play like Corvo. I've been pounding the table on this one for months, and I expect good things. This is a 5G play. And they've got a ton of business in the companies. Remember, it's like the Fight Club you came in. Gapsis CEO, our peck will step down. Yeah, got that. See, I get the bulletins and stuff. I set it up myself. <laughs> hey, old dog, new tricks. Anyway, uh, Apple is a major customer. Skyworks sells at less than 16 times earnings, meaning you're not too late. Plenty of room to roll. Last but not least, Broadcom, symbol A-V-G-O, and Marvell, M-R-V-L, tech don't report until December but there are two uh, more chip makers who have meaningful 5G exposure. I'm going to hit them many times in the next few months, although Brocom is much less of a pure play than others. I like them both, especially Marvell, which we own for my Chapel Trust, which can follow along our moves by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. Marvell's already surged 7% this week, thanks to a big upgrade from Wells Fargo, but I think it's got much more upside because, as I will explain in next week's comp- club call, uh, I do a conference call once a month, this is the single Marvell, is the single most levered stock to 5G, even more than Corvo, which I used to call Corvo when it wasn't doing that well. Anyway, bottom line, if you're selling off uh, over the summer, these 5G stocks, they're back and they're better than ever. Based on what we heard from Corvo last week, the business is on fire and you don't want to miss it. Good things. Corvo, Qualcomm, Skyworks, Broadcom, Marvell. I like them all. Robert in California. Robert! Yeah, hey, this is Bob, of course, all the way from downtown L.A., My favorite cigar shop with
1: law enforcement and my buddies. And my question is, what's going to happen with T-Mobile and the merger with Sprint? How's it going to affect the stocks? Look, I'm just going to tell
3: you, I got a simple thing. It's been my way since 60, actually since 55. John Ledger is a great manager. He's a fabulous CEO. You can buy T-Mobile and you're going to win either way. T-Mobile's been the way. I've been behind it all along and I remain behind it. I need to go to Alex in California. Alex! (laughs) From sunny Los Angeles. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Excellent weather forecast, and at the same time, an excellent stuttering booyah. What's up? Jim, my question is about a smaller cap stock. That's a play on fiber optics, 5G, and Internet of Things. Now, I know from watching you daily that you think Marvell is the best 5G play. Yes! But I'm looking for a 10-bagger here. So what say you about Infinera
2: Corporation?
3: I think that it's 10 or nothing. No, I... I'll tell you that that's too dicey for me. I just, it's too dicey. I gotta stick with Marvel. I'm not looking for a new name in the group. I like Marvel. Okay, ain't nothing but a 5G baby. Okay, that's eh, all right. These stories are uh, these are back. Okay, this is the kind of thing you want to own. And I think it's bigger than ever. Okay, much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with the company that has some of the best real estate and a great yield. Can Bricksmore help you build some gains and give you some nice uh, income? Then it's a player that works with 9 out of 10 of the largest cloud companies sell, uh, handling your data. So is it time to consider or reconsider investment in Cyrus One now that the stock's been clocked? And get ready for my take on a lot of stocks in the lightning round. So stick with Kramer. We know the consumer's in great shape here, but we also know that nearly everything's connected to the shopping mall or the shopping center. Well, let's just say some of them's become zombies. So, where are people spending their money? Well, how about at open air shopping centers? Take Bricksmore Property Group, a real estate investment trust that owns more than 400 of these shopping centers across the country. Well, they've got some terrific anchor tenants. TJX, you know, we like that very much. Ross Storch, another of our believed Kroger just the other day. Fantastic quarter. Walmart, best in show. Just last week, Bricksmore reported an excellent quarter, which is one of the reasons this stock has been able to rally nearly 50% for the year, while the mall REITs have been, let's say, treading water or going lower. Plus, Bricksmore pays you a bountiful 5.3% yield, which has allowed it to stand out. I think it's got more upside. Do not take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Jim Taylor. He's the president CEO of Bricksmore Property Group to find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Taylor, welcome back to Made Money. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you, sir. Good, Good to see thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Okay, so Jim, one of the things that you guys did that others haven't is you decided, you know what? We're going to take the darn hit. We're going to get out of, them. I'm going to use your term, the non-relevant retailers and get into the relevant retailers. And you're pretty far along in the transition.
4: We are. You know, we've just over the last couple of years had over 12 million of new leases with tenants as you mentioned in the open, who are actually thriving today, and so some of this disruption has actually been a great opportunity for us to upgrade our tenancy in the open air business, which generally still is thriving and doing pretty well.
3: You now, a lot of that—how uh, many of your uh, companies can you, uh, let's say, check a box and then pick up at the uh, at the store?
4: Because if you're going to a shopping mall, BOPUS, so to speak, buy online, pick up on store, it doesn't work. Well, you know, it works in the open-air center. We dedicate a few parking spaces right out in front of the store. And the retailers who get it, who really understand how their customer wants to be served, do a great job at it. And they're seeing growth in their sales through it, whether it's Kroger, Walmart, many others. Now, you do uh,
3: have to explain to people, because I don't know if they get it, that when you have a tenant that's an old tenant, People say, oh, boy, that guy could really be hurt. That's going to a scene, OK? And they're right. nice people. We've had him on. They're going to hurt that, that sector. It's possible that that was written at a very below market rate. And after putting a little bit of money in, you can
4: get that space uh, leased for a lot more. In real estate, rent basis matters if you right. want to make money. And so, when you come into a period of disruption, as we are, and you have reasonable rent basis, and you can increase the rent and still offer a tenant a reasonable cost of occupancy, that's how you make money, right. and not only how you drive growth in your cash flows, but it sets up wonderful opportunities to creatively reinvest in these shopping centers and make them more relevant to the communities they serve. And we've been doing that very actively. Now, I've, for instance, I know
3: uh, this Plymouth Square, which is not which is. Really about two miles I used to ride my bike there, uh, and I see you bought that, and I look at that property and say, "Geez, maybe some REIT operator didn't have the money to reinvest, didn't have the, the ability." That's a great property. Are you picking off
4: some good properties from other companies that kind of have to, let's say, clamp their balance sheet? It's a really great question, and you know, when you think about our space; most of it's in private hands. The REITs only right. own about ten percent of the shopping center stock. Okay. So, with that center in particular, we saw a seventy percent occupied center where we knew what the national tenant demand was to be there, and so we're real excited. We actually own the center Caddy Corner too at White Marsh, if you know the oh, area. Oh, sure, because well, I played Plymouth a, White Marsh was our primary uh, a was great our rivalry, great great center, yeah. and we're going to be adding a nice out parcel there as well. Now, I
3: know you do have uh, still have some right Aids, of which I'm worried about, still have some Asena, which I am worried about. What do you do? Let's say a CENA called you and said, and it's mentioned
4: somewhat in the call, but say, look, you know, we, we need a break. You don't really have to give them a break, do you? Not where our rents are. Interesting. Not where our rents are. So the discussion is much different. Uh, if you're sitting at above market rent, which we occasionally are, right. it's a much different dynamic. But you say, we'd like to have the space back. Wow. And I mean, these are people you, maybe your firm has had a long-term relationship, but you're willing to take that gamble? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're bringing in the use to the center that's going to be most relevant to the community that that we're serving. And if they're not doing great sales in there, it's really not helping the overall center and the dynamic there.
3: Okay, so uh, the actual occupancy rate, there's a couple of them that I see. There's some that I I see a number that says 91.9. That's overall. Right. Now, that also is not
4: necessarily a negative, correct? Well, it shows that we have room for growth. I I think the the stabilized occupancy level for this portfolio, as we continue to execute our plan, is quite a few hundred basis points above that. And really going to be most driven dramatically in our small shop vacancy, which today our occupancy sits at 85%. I think you can see that. Over the next couple of years, trend closer to 90, particularly as we bring in more relevant anchors, which is part of our strategy. When you look at our reinvestments, what you're really seeing is us putting a new anchor into the shopping center and the return that we're getting from that. But we have behind that, Jim, the small shop lease up that occurs with better tenants at better rents. Uh, One last question. How many uh, properties did you dispose of during that period when you said, you know what, we're going to take bite the bullet? $1.6 $1.6 over over 100 shopping centers, oh, uh, and we did it one at a time. Uh, okay. And the reason we did it one at a time was that was where the liquidity was in that market. It was something that I worried most about. Would we right. be able to cleave the portfolio? But we did well. Well,
3: congratulations. I mean, look, I, you, I, as I was saying to you off camera, yeah. I feel it's a shame that all REITs kind of trade together as a group. But some people are in different trajectory. Well, just ready. watch us continue to execute. Oh, We're I real know. I'm excited. I know you will. Okay, that is Jim Taylor. the president CEO of Brixmore Property Group. You always say there's no yield, no safe yield, a little bit better than 5%. I'll take that when treasuries are 1.9. Stay with Kramer. And then the lightning mouse over. Are you ready, Skate? That's over the night mouse. I'm with Phil in New York. Phil, how are you throwing Kramer? How are you? I, I am good. Cool. How about you, Phil? Great. Okay, listen, Home Depot. I need your take on it. It's been going sideways lately. Hey, man, it just had a gigantic move. You got to get a little room. And by the way, I mean, look, Marvin Ellison's doing a great job at Lowe's. Either one of them is fine with me. Marty, in Massachusetts. Marty. Hey Jim, great show you have there. Thank you. Hey, so for the great American sportsmen in this country, what's your opinion on American outdoor brands? AOB. I want to stay away from it. Sternberger just reported a number that people felt was really horrible, and I bet American brands is brought down by it tomorrow. Let's go. Let's go to uh, Bill in Florida. Bill. Hey, Jim, uh, a great big booyah to the wizard of uh, Wall Street. You're very kind. Very kind. Uh, I had a question.
1: Uh, The multi limited partnership ET reported last night with positive earnings. But the stuff, the company has been languishing over the past year. What's right. your assessment?
3: Okay, you got to stay away from all these pipelines. Why? Because there's a lot of companies that are on the ropes, including, say, Chesapeake, which has giant bills to these pipelines and may not be able to pay them. That's what's pushing these stocks down. Let's go to Dwight, Pennsylvania. Dwight. Hey, good evening, Mr. Kramer, and thanks hey. for taking my call. Hey, I'd like to get your thoughts on Pure Storage PSTG. You know, this one is just its just all over the map. I don't like the personnel changes constantly happening. You know what? If you want to be in storage, I think you have to go with uh, VMware. That's the play. Let's go to Tom in Massachusetts, please. Tom. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Tom. Jim, I'm calling about a growing international utility with a
4: 5.4% dividend yield. My stock is National Grid. Jim. I
3: like National Grid. I pay him every single month. I think it's absolutely terrific. I'm getting brought it to our people's attention because it is a buy. Philip in New York, Philip. Yo Jim, this is Philip Mioli from over the bridge in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Right Just there, what's up, but we are my brother. we are. See you, at Bar Miguel. What's going on?
1: I'm loaning a thousand shares of manga at 125 for a while. Look, deal, buy we buy, like Uh,
3: You know, open source database is pretty growing business. But we know, like we said last night, there are too many of these stocks, and they're getting lost in the shuffle. Let's go to Rudy in North Carolina. Rudy!
1: What's going on, Jim? Love the show. I want to say hi to my wife, Danielle. And what's
2: up, Lord. But look, my question is this to you. Should I buy or sell Richard Branson's uh, Virgin Galactic Holdings.
3: Yeah, that's like going to a share in the uh, Green Bay Packers, I think. I mean, you know, it, it's nice. You know, see if you get the actual certificate, and maybe they still have those you put on your wall. But I, no, I don't want you to do more than that. Let's go to Frank in North Carolina. Frank!
1: Hi, Jim. I'm a retired
3: Naval Reserve, 86 years old. Uh, during the recent volatility, I have made mad money trading AMD. What do you see in the future for AMD? Well, first, thank you for serving, and second, I think I see forty dollars in the future for AMD because Lisa Sue's doing a terrific job. The data center is strong, the PC is strong, gaming is strong. What more can you ask for? Let's go to Courtney in Virginia. Courtney,
4: thank you for taking my call, Jim. You're welcome. It's a local stock with a nice dividend. Apple hosp- hospitality. Group.
3: We've liked Apple hospitality the whole way. It does have a good yield. Now, remember, with interest rates going up, people are going to sell this stock, but they are—they can more than pay for that dividend. So, therefore, I like it's actual distribution. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the lightning round.
2: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: In an environment where investors suddenly feel a lot more confident about the economy, what do I do with the stocks that thrive when everybody was worried about the economy? Stocks like Cyrus One, it's the real estate investment trust that owns data centers. From the spring through the end of September, Cyrus One was one of the hottest names in the market. Companies riding a fabulous secular trend, the endless increase in demand for those big warehouses for servers. And it also supports a solid dividend. The stock ran from 50 dollars at the beginning of the year to 80 dollars at its peak a little over a month ago, and since then, though, the stock's been crushed plumbing to 66 dollars as of today. What went wrong? Nothing nothing company-specific. Most of the weakness is because of the rotation away from secular growth uh, secular growth stocks that have smooth earnings and into cyclicals that thrive in an accelerated economy. In fact, last week, Cyrus Born reported a really strong quarter, but the stock got slammed anyway. It's now down, down 11% since then. That's because management announced that they're not putting the company up for sale, something that had been rumored in recent months by who knows what. At this point, though, you've got to wonder, is the stock overly punished? So let's take a closer look with Gary Watozic. And Gary what we call you we call you, I'm going to send him Gary W., we call you lots of different names because <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Rarely do I do that off-camera stuff. To get a better sense of his company and where it's headed, Gary, welcome back <laughs> to Van Money. Great. Hey, thanks for having All back, right. right. And, uh, Jim, good seeing okay. you. Okay. Well, they always do a phonetic for me. Yeah. Gary physics, Gary with yeah. How's I said, let's oh, just get it just right. just learn how to pronounce yes. it as well. Okay. you got to help me here. There are people. You're, you're my only data center guy. I always tell people when I mm-hmm. come we got the data center guy. I said it yeah. this morning mm-hmm. with David and Carl. There's a company. It's called Arista Networks, and they say that there's a pause in data center. Mm-hmm. There's another company, AMD, Dr. Lisa Sue. She goes, there's an acceleration in data center. It, they can't both be
1: right. Yeah. Tell me what. Well, you know better, but they're both in different parts of the market, right? Arista is more on the network side. AMD is more on the CPU side, and so I think what you're seeing is a rotation from some of the cloud companies wanting to do more of their own networking stuff. And uh, and that's, I think, the impact that you're seeing on Arista, and everything else is up and to the right. I think Uh, all CPU and storage is going to continue to boom for many, many
3: years. Well, it's absolutely, I mean, you have key clients, and the key client, Amazon, Microsoft, Azure, uh, Google Cloud, they all have, they're like, they have to, they're constrained, right?
1: I don't know if they're constrained, not constrained enough, but they are booming. They're booming, that's that's what I mean. it's, it's, It's been a fantastic ride for us, having no sales in that business 4 years ago it's about 40% of our uh, of our company's revenue right now and it's accelerating.
3: Okay, so I see financials very big too. Yeah. So what happens? Is that just is that backup? What are
1: they doing? There? Uh no, no, financials in the industry. We've done a really nice job. So a couple of years ago we acquired the uh uh, Chicago Mercantiles Exchange uh, data center in Chicago. So all the futures trading now goes through our facility in mm. Chicago. We tied that into a platform we acquired a couple of years ago that has a number of the largest hedge funds around New York and commercial banks. So, you know, that whole industry is growing, you know, dramatically. And what you're seeing in all businesses across uh, across the spectrum is that a combination of a hybrid cloud. So they're doing a lot on their own in all the critical applications, the high security stuff, and then they're outsourcing a lot. To the cloud, and, uh, and we're seeing a lot of that hybrid business as well.
3: Now, uh, when I looked at, uh, there's a great, you have, you have an unbelievable deck. It looks like that Thanks. the strongest area, what well, is, the strongest area, this is something that's very contrary to every other company I deal with. It's Europe. Yeah.
1: How's Boom, it possible? So, you know, the wave, uh, the cloud wave that was going on in this country, you know, had taken off about four years ago. Right. And, you know, Europe is a little behind the U.S. And, and the reason for our expansion into Europe was we saw that developing over there. And we've kind of hit it out of the park. My only regret is we didn't go earlier. But right, right now our, our European business is up 70 and, percent and we're doubling our footprint. So okay. by the end of next year, we will have tripled the capacity we have But, you Europe.
3: see, I look at it like this. If things were so bad there, you wouldn't have that ability to do that. They can't yeah. be as bad as the media says.
1: Oh, no. From the, You know, we're, we're somewhat in an isolated industry. I mean, what's right. happening in the cloud and tech is a little different than, you know, in the broader economy. Right. Uh, but even in the, in the broader economy, if there's a level of weakening, I mean, there's still going to be a big push to the cloud because it's pretty efficient right. it for companies money. that manage the IT that way.
3: Okay, so what happens? You decide one day I'm going to do a 20-acre property and council no. Bluff right. <laughs> How does that happen?
1: Um, you throw you know, a dart? Look, you know, we've done a lot of work there. We've got a, a customer that we're doing a really unique project for, and, and it's specifically for this hybrid cloud approach. And you know, What we're going to see over the next five, ten years is a completely different uh, data center topology that is all associated with, uh, with the growth in AI. And that requires just big compute and storage capacity.
3: Okay, help me here. Um, you made it very clear in the comics call, you're not for sale. Uh, what I want to know is the opposite, which is I often talk about this with David Faber. There are many reporters who don't check things out. Yeah. And they can just say that this guy's for sale. Right. Uh, it's entirely possible that they're just wrong. Was yep. the reportage wrong?
1: Yeah. Look, like, you know, there's, there's always rumors in the, yeah. in the market and we just felt it appropriate last week to kind of come out, put a fork in it, let people know that we're not for sale so that we can get any anyone who was buying a stock on those rumors out of it and just right. kind of really let our results speak for themselves. But at the we same came time, a, a it, record quarter.
3: But at the same time, I mean, you always want to do what's right for shareholders. Yeah. I, mean, I always oh, tell absolutely. people, like, when you say you're not for sale, it doesn't yeah. mean you know, we'd rather yeah. blow our place up than take a
1: bid. Oh, yeah. No, no. We're uh, we're always going to be good fiduciaries. Right. So, right. uh, I mean, we're always going to drive uh, whatever is more appropriate for our shareholders. Is, uh, uh, well, is right I
3: answer. personally am very glad you said what you did, yeah. because we don't want people buying stocks on the show right. on tips, yep. because then what happens is they buy high, and yeah. they sell so low. And yep. I thought it was very responsible yeah. what you did. Yeah. Get that out so people can bear it, do the merits. And then we just have to deal with the fact that when rates go up, people have decided, I don't need this guy anymore. <laughs> but that's the, right. but yeah. I think a secular growing real estate investment trust or one that is actually doing things, self help, are the ones that work. Yeah. And you buy them when they throw them away.
1: I'm, I'm with you. I'm, All right. You know, All been right. Really Terrific.
3: That's, that's Gary Wotuzik. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he said, if I got it right. Presidency of Cyrus, when this has long been, as you know, Every time in the light round, this has long been the data center REIT that I want you to own, and I'm sticking with it. There isn't anything here that I don't like. I didn't care about the takeover rumors. I care about the fundamentals, and they're excellent. Stick with Cramer. There are a couple stocks that we really just say champion since the beginning of the show. One of them was Apple, a second one was Alphabet, and a third one was Disney. Disney just shot the lights out tonight. It's why I continue to say, this is the stock to give your kids, to get them started. It's been my mantra since 2005. I'm not changing now. D-I-S, way to go, Bob Iger, delivered a perfect one. And be sure to tune in tomorrow for a very special Mad Money Veterans Day at the Air Force Academy. Like I said, there's always a bookmark summer. I promise i find just for you right here Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, I'll see you
2: tomorrow.